You're listening to the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, Bree. People can say my name and I still don't pay attention. Chris. This is what happens when your number one health concern in the state is porn. Jeremy. Flicks it and then walks out and just kicks the living crap out of whoever. And Julia. This week on Julia does everything that's embarrassing. She's so embarrassing. She's not even here. Yeah. Or, uh, probably talk about some more porn in Utah today. I know. Uh, I was thinking about that when I heard the introduction. As soon as I heard that, yeah. yeah. It's episode 300 and, uh, 354. 354. There's no and between the three and the 54. You can say 354. Nope. That's incorrect. In Spanish, you can. Yeah. It's not proper grammar for English. It's 354, not 354. So I had an, I had an underwriter call me today because of an error that she'd made and she wanted to stop me before I sent anything out. And she was like, did you get a new last name? Cause she's our old underwriter and she's filling in for our temporarily for our underwriter while she's out of town. And I was like, yeah, like a year and a half ago. And she's like, are you Spanish? And I was like, Kind of. <laughs> She's like, do you speak Spanish? I was like, no. no. <laughs> like my grandma did, but she didn't teach her kids and her kids didn't teach their kids. So no, <laughs> it's a lost but language. 354 would be 300.54 in the English language. The and is the decimal place. So when you say 354, it's I remember I had a math percent. teacher who was crazy about that when I was a kid. I don't remember which, but. If you'd say that, 354, no, it's, it's 300, 354. There's no and, and there's no like 200 and 3,700, nope. and it was like, no. And is a decimal place. 354 thousandths, or 54 hundredths. I don't think we can have a 3.5 show. This it's math three. lesson has been brought to you by the New Utah Podcast. Yes. <laughs> and episode 354. This episode is brought to you by the number 354. You know what the biggest thing that bugs me about accounting, about accountants? They don't they use commas. Oh, I thought you Yeah, saying. they get in the way. So my accountant sends me stuff from our accounting department to like look at it and I'm like, because my brain see, sees commas. It's and all I'm one like, sentence. It's so it lines up properly. Anyway, it throws me off. That's why. But, yeah, I don't like well, it Well, if you either. put commas in all of them, they still line up Also, properly. just so you know, if you're copying uh, stuff format as accounting in Excel, and you copy that and put it into PowerPoint, it fucks up the formatting. But if you format as currency, where the dollar sign's next to it, it stays fine. Well, our accountant doesn't put dollar signs on anything either. Even if you put it into a table in PowerPoint. Just a little nugget of... Fucking Microsoft wisdom for Back you. Back in the day when you do no, say, say that again because I feel like I knew that. I do a lot of PowerPoints. If you have something formatted as accounting in Excel and you copy that and paste it into a table in PowerPoint, the formatting gets fucked up. I guess that's why I wouldn't, why I knew that. I didn't know about the accounting fucked up part, but I knew that if you copied and pasted uh, <laughs> currency, it worked because yeah. I only ever use currency. <laughs> So anyway, that's that's uh, this is how we begin shows that we don't have guests. Yeah, well, I use yeah. percentages too. We do have a guest. Uh, it'll be a short interview uh, today, but um, you know the legislative session just ended, um, and so we're going to get into um, kind of the session and review. Bill again. Um, I do want to point out um, amongst all the snow we've been getting, which I absolutely love. 
were not Tahoe <laughs> and the four fuckers up in like the Donner's Pass area. And, you know, they're, I mean, they're getting, they had six feet of snow or seven feet there of snow. There was a lady on TikTok and she's like, she was posting like about the snow and people are like, the trees look really tall. And she's like, these are hundred foot trees. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, I'm on the third level of my house. She's like, she opens the window and reaches out and grabs snow. And yeah. she's like, there's not a roof underneath me. Yeah. And if you like, if you've been to Tahoe, the first like 20 feet of those pine trees does not have s- branches. They're just straight up because they don't, they can't handle the snow. Yep. They're humongous. They're those so pine big. cones are huge. They're gigantic trees. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I feel bad for them because they're going to get more snow, but, uh, in theory, it's going to bring California out of their massive drought. Uh, if the Sierras get this next storm, uh, would be my guess. I'm hoping it helps us do the same. I'm hoping we continue to get more and more of this moisture. I saw a cool ass avalanche video, uh, from the Cottonwoods the other day, um, cause they had all the canyons shut down for avalanche control. Those, I like the avalanche control videos. They're cool. We ensure the avalanche people that teach not the actual work that they do to control avalanches but they teach people how to do it and we ensure that portion of their job i would just want to shoot the cannon that's what i would want to do yeah you know anyone who's who's died in an avalanche Uh, not personally no i do but you hear about them every year so when i was married to don um his best friend Ironically enough, Chris has a girl best friend and Don had a girl best friend. Anyway, she, um, she had, they had a daughter, this, this lady and her husband had a, a, just like a brand new little girl and she was pregnant with, um, a second. So like, I think they're like a year and a half apart or something. And he went snowmobiling with his family and got caught in an avalanche and died. And so when she, when the baby was born, so her first daughter was Allie. When the second daughter was born, they named her Eve, you know, Steve. And then she went on to remarry a guy named Steve. So she was, she was always married to Steve. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> it was interesting. You guys don't know anybody that died in an avalanche. It was freaky. That, that's, that's true. I don't. And um, the poor woman that he left behind was pregnant. And she named her daughter after her husband. Yeah, it's kind of cool. At least it wasn't like my grandmother. No, it wasn't Charles Selene. Charles Selene and her twin brother, Charles. I'm not even fucking joking. Wow. And then she married Charles. And then she married a Charles. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, interesting shit. Um, Not really. It's not interesting at all. Uh, I wanted to point out anyway, uh, RSL, um, one and one on the season so far. I had two road games up in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, we are home. This weekend on the 11th, it's the home opener. It's the homebrew competition. Um, should be a, a fantastic game. Um, hopefully, probably snowy, just warm if uh, you're going. Yeah, definitely going to be snowing is my guess. <laughs> so, spring games in Utah, that's what happens. It is interesting because we've had such a really heavy winter. I'm curious how the field's doing. Um, cause it's heated, like they have like heating and drainage and stuff underneath it, but they don't like to get the grass going until they absolutely have to. And we've had some big snowstorms in the last few weeks and yeah, but they cover it when there's going to be weather like that, like snow, they'll cover it and then they'll get all the snow off, take the, the, the tarp off and let the grass get sunlight. And, but when it's below freezing, like the grass isn't really 
growing. I mean, it's of course, it's got the heater underneath it. So we'll see how the field is. It's going to be interesting. They played in Seattle this last weekend. Yeah, and that's turf. Just like in, in Vancouver the week before was also turf. So uh, turf's not quite the same as uh, grass. Turf equals injury. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So you guys want to jump into all your chickens still alive, by the way? I uh, lost another one. No, so you're 19 sucks. now? That's so I'm back to 19. So you're, you're 6 out of 25. I promised people on the blog I'd keep track. <laughs> yep. 6 out of 25. So we uh, also, so the, the first batch, which is now three weeks old, I, three or four weeks old, they're quadrupled in size. Yeah, they're a lot bigger from when we got them. And then the ones the following week, and then the following, so we've got three different sizes, so we expanded. So right now we're just using the really big, uh, Amazon boxes. So I took a second box, attached it to the first box, but it's, it's, it's a lot taller. Anyway, point is now the chickens, I've doubled their space so that the bigger ones can hang out in the larger area and the smaller ones can kind of have some separation. I'm hoping though that the smallest ones are big enough now that I, I don't think we'll lose any more. Yeah. They've gone through, they've gotten through the little stage. Yeah. It's that first week to two weeks is, if you're going to lose them early. Did that's... you get the other kind or did you just get the same? Not yet. They, they, they're not in yet. They're supposed to be in any time now, but they're not in. The Jersey Giants is what they're called. They get up to 10 pounds. When do they uh, form into boy chickens? That would be... I mean, they're already boy chickens if they're going to be boy chickens, but like when, when, when do they, they show? That would be when, like they, when they hit maturity and they start to lay. Either they start to lay or they, they start to crow. So you won't know for a few months. Because they don't, they don't develop their little thingy-mabobber. Probably be then. August-ish ballpark, September, August, September, somewhere in there. Depending it's on the bottle. breed. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's when we'll know if we have any. Okay. <laughs> any boy chickens. Well, you guys want to just jump in on it then? Yeah, I see it. it started. So the legislative session for the state of Utah, we've, you know, we went up to Capitol Hill, as you guys heard, it was a blast. Um, but the legislative session is officially over. Oh, and I got the blog up. So if you guys were looking for the pictures, I promise, like I posted a gazillion. There's so many pictures on that blog. Um, so the 2023 legislator, uh, legislature completed last week on Friday. So the third. Uh, was their last day, I believe. Uh, and, um, doesn't the governor have, it's something like 30 days? It, de- it depends on the bills, but he has a couple months to decide if he's going to sign or veto them. Um, it's rare that stuff passes at the end of the session that's going to get a veto. Um, because typically that, that kind of communication is going back and forth. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's highly likely that he just signs everything. Usually if he's going to veto something, um, that tends to be something that happens earlier in the session where that negotiation takes place, um, where we have a Republican governor and a Republican supermajority for him to veto stuff. It usually has to be pretty fucking psychotic, um, or really damaging. So, but we're going to talk. Uh, we try to do these every year. Some years were better than others, but um, we want to go through and kind of hit the high points of, of things that happened in the legislative session. You know, in true typical fashion, the, the budget uh, gets filled out. Um, some high-level stats. There were 1,377 bills requested, so meaning su- crazy. submitted to committees and whatnot. 926 were actually filed all the way through. 
Uh, a $29 billion budget was passed, uh, the biggest in our state's history, including some tax cuts, um, some other weird shit that we're going to get into in regards to taxes. Um, so, I don't know. You guys want to pick something to start with? Do you want me to give some more quick facts uh, in terms of how many bills were passed? We want to Let's start with some of the leaders. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, we always like to talk about who sponsored the most bills. And for the House of Representatives, the, uh, the head sponsorship um, tie between two people, uh, Ryan Wilcox and Steve uh, Eliason. Or Eliason, I don't know how you say his stupid name. I think it's Eliason. Uh, and then in the, uh, in the Senate, uh, it is Curtis Bramable with 58 bills in the Senate. Wow. Now, one thing to keep in mind, the Senate's really small. Our Senate's not very big. And so, um, individual senators, like the top five senators sponsored more bills than any of the House reps did. So that's always a thing. But Todd Weiler mm. only had a measly 51. Compared to the 58 of uh, Curtis Bramble. So um, you'll notice that uh, no D's in any of the top sponsors. So Well, and it's funny because when we've interviewed our Democratic representatives in the past, they, uh, they have said, if something comes across my desk and I really think it's good, I'll tell them to go down the hall because there's no way they're going to pass it because I've got a D in front of my name. So it says they completed 25. Is that right? Is that all the bills that they actually passed? I th- no, when I when I was looking at it earlier today, it was like in the five hundreds. I thought that's what I thought. Yeah. Why did this say twenty five? Let me look at because I'm looking at a different site than what you guys oh. are. Um, oh, it's because they haven't uh, been signed, probably. So there's the past list, which when I was checking it earlier today is in the five hundreds that are just waiting to be signed off on. Yeah, and you were just looking at le. By the way, this is all yes. available on le.utah.gov. Um, so you can go there. There's all sorts of cool shit that you can find. Um, but you can see what the status of all the different bills are, who it's waiting on, all that sort of stuff. Um, do you guys want to pick a bill? Yeah, we're, we're, I'm just sitting here opening tabs as you talk. Uh, we're, sh- we're sharing a computer, but yeah, the, where did that one go? Is there another one? Oh, I think I opened it. Oh, one of those. The, the, the domestic. Domestic abuse bill. So since I clicked on it first and it's kind of like it, there's the rape crisis center modifications too. I don't know what that one is about. <laughs> well, why'd you bring it up if you haven't? Well, you didn't give it. I didn't have time. Uh, oh. Um, so, uh, uh, Kara Brooklyn, um, uh, has a bill that was put in place to have police undergo more training on trauma and helping victims of rape. Um, but the problem with that bill was uh, the it required rape or incest victims to report to law enforcement to get emergency contraception. Which that's, that's problematic in and of itself. Yeah. One thing that you'll find as we go through a lot of this is um, we don't just get things passed without being asked for other things by the legislative body in this state. Um, it tends to be something that, that, uh, doesn't happen. That's all I can say. Um, uh, the minority leader, uh, Angela Romero, um, got a bill passed to expand rape crisis counseling services, which is probably what you were talking about, Bree. Um, she also, uh, was the sponsor of a bill that extended the services of uh, murdered, missing indigenous women. Oh, yeah, the opened that, that was one of the ones that I opened. Uh, so who did we have on that? The girl that knitted the that did the knitting, the crochet stuff, the crochet clothing, who she's an indigenous. And I remember her 
very briefly. She talked quite a yeah, a little talking bit about, about that and how uh, trafficking for indigenous it's a real problem is a huge problem, and they come up missing and nothing gets done about it. Like they report it, and it just it just. And so swept under the rug. Both of those bills were basically budgeting appropriations to add more funds to those expand to expand those programs. Um, so that's part of having such a big budget is being able to push more money into those programs. I know it's. I know this. I, I was just naive on it. I just I didn't even realize that was an issue. But really, it's huge. It's huge it all is. over yeah. the whole United States. We also pass in in regards to sex offenses and stuff like that. Um, uh, Brady Brammer passed a bill increasing the penalty for repeat sex offender violations. Uh, Representative Corey Malloy passed a bill restricting convicted sex offenders access to playgrounds, parks, and swimming pools inside of HOAs. Um, and then um, there was another bill passed by Marsha Judkins to expand um, criteria for getting off the sex offender registry. Um, so that so that is another thing I with getting off of it. So I I, I went to high school with a guy. I'm, I'm sure you know him. I won't say his name. I I doubt he listens. But just in case, um, he went to a party. He was 19 ish. Went to a party. Ended up sleeping with a girl who said she was 18, that whole thing. Her parents found out she was like 14 or 15. He got put on the sex offenders list, which I, that's the way it goes. However, to this day, now he's pushing 50. This happened when he was like 18, 19. He is still on the list. So I do think that he needs to get an attorney. I, like I knew someone. So when I was living, uh, in, in North Salt Lake, uh, there was a guy that was, uh, he was a buddy with one of the guys I work with and, uh, his wife, um, was a few years younger than him and her parents didn't like the fact that they were together and they filed statutory rape charges against him when they were, when they were younger, he got convicted of statutory rape. They're still married. He's still on the sex yeah. offender registry for statutory rape of his wife and the the statutory rape. This was before they changed the law that widened that gap, uh, for Basically for kids, for young adults that are having sex with people that are under 18, they widened that gap out. Um, I don't know. That was like 10 or 15 years ago they made that that change. But, you know, those people, they have to live with that. And then you have to pay good attorneys to get your ass off of that registry. Um, it is worth talking about because uh, it is tied towards, um, you know, uh, sexual predators. Apparently, up until this session... You could buy a child sex doll. Yeah, I, in the I, state of Utah, I had no, I once again my naivety. I'm like, that's a thing. I didn't even know that was a thing, but obviously it is because they're passing a bill making it illegal. And is it a thing that like is a big problem? I say, I was gonna say, like, do I want people to buy child sex dolls? No. So let's take that in that context. But like the fact that we focused in on that, like. Really? Well, that's what, who even came up with that? Like, what? Well, how did, I mean, that clearly something happened. It's like when you put the warning about babies falling into buckets and drowning, like, or plastic bags or anything. Yeah. Or like, you There's know, a yeah. hairdryer will electrocute you. I saw that one. I'm thing. like, I did not even know that was a thing. Yeah. Another thing that passed in the world of crime, um, victims of child homicide can no longer have their names released before, uh, 
parents are notified and give the okay. I thought that that was already a thing. That was not a thing with, with homicide in particular. And so, uh, and that, that bill actually came about, who, who was it? Uh, Candace, uh, Perucci, I think is her name. Um, but that bill came about because there was a kid that had been killed. They released the name of the kid in the press. The parents didn't even didn't fucking know. know. Yeah. Like, that's absurd. How does that happen that the kid's name gets out to the press before the parents are doesn't even know that it's a thing. Um, Looks like they did an online safety dating amendment. Oh, yeah. That was, uh, that safety was dating, da- tar- dating safety targeted towards Tinder, basically, and not getting raped by Tinder people. And it's another one of those. I'm, I'm all for fighting that, but that's a fight that how, how I don't know. That's really hard. Yeah. It's hard to enforce. A lot of these things, um, there's bills that are passed to, provide funding for educational services. Um, sometimes it is increased penalties for crimes that are convicted under that thing. So like if you find someone on Tinder and then you rape them, the the penalty for that is much higher than if you just go down the street and find someone and rape them. Like that's the kind of legislation that they would be passing. Far more premeditated, and I guess I I don't know. It just it helps to maybe discourage that behavior. But I kind of think if you're going to rape someone, you're probably raping them anyway. You're not actually caring about what the penalty difference is. Um. So there was an infrastructure and general base budget. Um. That's so for actual infrastructure. Did you see this? So there's like um. It's just a whole bunch of money that they've done for fixing our infrastructure is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. They, they have that every year, though, because that's, for example, we've had all this snow. The snow plows are out there. They're absolutely destroying all the roads. So come spring, they have to spend about as much money as they spent removing the snow, but fixing the roads. But this is like roads. the income tax fund. This is like... Breaking mm-hmm. down where it's all going. Yeah. Well, so there's there's a bunch of stuff that they pumped into... Uh, recreational vehicle infrastructure so they can build, uh, bike and OHV trails, um, like in a bunch of areas, especially in, in rural areas. So there, are, it, they did increase a lot of that funding. Um, but yeah, like even the cost of snow plows is something they have to include in the budget every yeah. single year. But, um, one big chunk of infrastructure was a $200 million expansion for commuter rail. Um, and Utah, uh, Utah State University, um, the, the, the commuter rail, I think that bill was specifically for, uh, Utah State University getting electronic, uh, electric, electric transportation. So that's cool. Cause U- Utah State, if you've been up there recently, like when we drive through Bear Lake, it's pretty fucking crazy busy up in Logan. It's pretty sprawling. And it's on, a, it's on that hill. Yeah, and if it's you go, the U in. like yeah. it, if you go during school, it's a nightmare, and they actually are starting to have pollution problems from the vehicles, and I think that's a big step in the right direction for the government to fund some of that stuff. So, in the same vein of vehicles and stuff, there's a there was a license plate amendment, and one of the amendments was um, allowing counties to exempt motor vehicles from emissions inspections for certain circumstances. So I'm guessing that's like farm equipment. Uh, well, it's all, it's vintage cars and farm equipment. Those are the two. And that's why it was tied to the license plate because the vintage vehicle custom license plate, um, a lot of those vintage vehicles will never pass emissions. They just, they can't. So it's also created a special group license plate program for changes and processing new, new, new 
plates. So I don't know exactly how farm vehicles work with registering, but I know it's different. It's if like, you are off road, you have to register it as a, a you have to register an insurance and insure it for driving on public roads. If you're only driving on your farm, the uh, you don't have to have any of that. that. The uh, the license plate thing did end up passing. There was supposed to be a two year moratorium on customized license plates. Um, but uh, that got pulled out of it before they passed it. Um, the deal with the customized license plates is they want more transparency as to where the money for those plates goes. Because in order to get a customized license plate, you have to have some sort of charitable foundation behind it. And the state puts the proceeds from that into the funds for those different groups. Yep. It creates, an, uh, it creates a restricted account to administer existing fees related to the license plate and vehicle registration. And that was already happening. But the problem was there wasn't a lot of transparency as to where that was going. The other thing that they're really concerned about is the vanity plates that are inappropriate what people would consider, but there's a, they have a really tough time passing legislation restricting that because of free speech. Uh, and so it's ass man. Yeah. I mean, so there are, there it is. So that was the reason they wanted a two year moratorium is so they could figure that out, but they couldn't get that passed. Um, in line with, uh, this is a really important piece of legislation that passed in line with, with air quality and emissions. Um, so this is kind of a, a crazy story. So there was a really ambitious bill. How it started out is they wanted a 50% reduction, uh, of all emissions along the Wasatch front. And during a legislative session, I don't remember if we talked about this, but the University of Utah, or maybe it was Utah State, I can't remember which one, released a study that basically said the magnesium plant on the Great Salt Lake is responsible for 25% of the particulate emissions in the state. Absolutely insane how damning that report was on that magnesium plant, um, which... Yeah, we'll talk about the Great Salt Lake in a second. Um, that's kind of tied to that magnesium plant, which is what the magnesium plant's doing. Um, but because they were saying that they are responsible for as much as 25% of northern Utah's pollution, um, that bill started getting tweaked quite a bit. They really wanted to go after chlorine and bromine emissions, which is a lot of the stuff coming out of that plant. And then the bill got a bunch of amendments that watered it down and had a bunch of chemicals and took all the regulatory authority out. And then... Right towards the end of the session, the Senate actually put all the regulatory shit back in the bill, and then the, they passed it. So um, we will have some big emissions changes at an industrial level. And speaking of the Great Salt Lake, because the Great Salt Lake is another uh, was another really hot topic because it's um, uh, you know it's it's drying up, and the big thought is all the heavy metals, right? So we basically have a couple of really nasty things going to happen as the Great Salt Lake dries up. One, all the wetlands there are going to shrink and become non-existent. And that's actually a huge chunk of the Great Salt Lake is the protected wetlands. Um, So also when it dries up, there are a whole bunch of heavy metals sitting at the bottom of that lake. So the magnesium plant that's out there is extracting magnesium from the soil as the Great Salt Lake recedes. But in addition to that, there's a ton of heavy metals that they have to process through. And so um, that was a big priority for the legislative session is to figure out how to deal with that. And so they appropriated like half a billion dollars, $500 million, half a billion dollars to a whole bunch of stuff to try and help with that. So 
uh, irrigation technology um, to fund better irrigation technology for farmers because they use over 70% of the water in this state. Agriculture yeah. does. Um, Which is as it should be. Uh, looking at ways to do cloud seeding, um, uh, expanding turf buyback incentives. So being able to actually get people to get rid of their park strips and shit. Which I'm doing. I don't really care about the buyback. I'm doing it anyway. But yeah, yeah. we're going to do it too. Um, uh, secondary water metering that's going to go in. So there's a whole bunch of that stuff that got pushed in, uh, to the budget this year. Um, and then the, they created a great Salt Lake commissioner to be able to start working on a plan with state agencies to actually save the Great Salt Lake. Um, they did have bills to prohibit watering during certain times of the year that failed basically October. I think they should have passed this, by the way. I feel like if it, if we hadn't been getting snow like we did, they more more of those would have passed. There was a bill that was going to restrict watering and prohibit it in the state from October 1st through April 25th, which would have been fucking fantastic. The jackholes that were still watering in November can eat a dick. Uh, but it failed the Senate. Oh, I do want to talk about... Um, hey, you don't just get to jump right from your <laughs> topic to your topic. I just want to mention a couple little things. I'm so, just trying to keep him Drug flow. possession penalty amendments... Um, they reduce the penalty in certain circumstances for a restricted person in, pers- in possession of marijuana. So I feel like a reduction in a penalty when you're in possession of marijuana is a good thing. Um, there's another one. The mental health and support law uh, bill uh, requires tracking and reporting of activities and outcomes funded through the grant, which would be nice because we have mental health issues here just like everywhere else and then the voter signature verification there was a whole bunch on that but more talk about like verifying all of that stuff we've been doing that for years i just feel like why do we have to keep messing with because it? it's a hot item for republicans back to water rights the last thing i wanted to talk about Sorry, um, I just wanted to switch over because just completely I was still it. stuck in like this thing because you just go and go and yeah, go. Sorry. I was just going through all these water rights bills. Um, one of the things that got passed that is fucking music to my ears. I'll still never live in an HOA, but this is one of the bullshit things that has been happening in this state. And it's not just the state, but, but it's, it's brought to light even more so when we have a serious drought. Um, but we have passed a bill to prohibit cities and HOAs from requiring lush green lawns. So what would happen is someone would want to put AstroTurf in their front yard because that's what we should fucking do in this state because AstroTurf doesn't require water. It looks green or zero scape their front yard and HOAs would go after these people. Yeah, you have to have seven trees. You you have have to have have blah, blah, blah. They can no longer do that. The the law is now going to prevent them, which I thought was fantastic. Okay, go ahead. Um, okay, so Jeremy and I have been opening these. So was this one of the ones you wanted me to open? No, that wasn't one. Sorry. Oh, maybe I might have accidentally clicked. Oops, might have accidentally clicked it. Driving under the influence modifications. They're trying to read the whole bill. Oh no, it's prohibiting the. I'm not trying to read the whole bill. <laughs> We're blind over here. <laughs> It prohibits the DLD from suspending a driver's license unless the person fails to complete certain requirements. 
such as ignition restrictions. Yeah, they they did increase funding and availability of well, I don't remember what they're called, but the patient, the ignition inhibitors yeah, where you had the breathalyzer the, the interlock. It, yeah, interlock. Interlock. Yeah. That's what it's called. Um, yeah, I, I remember that that happening. And then some sobriety programs and things like that. So I feel like that's kind of good. Do you guys want to talk about uh, social media? Well, hold, hold on. In that medical, vein, there's um, the medical cannabis government's revision. So they're still revising that piece of shit that they passed. <laughs> there, that is going to be something that continues to be revised year after year after year because I think they're starting the, – the longer it exists in the state and it's not creating like a whole bunch of – you know, what did, what did fucking Herbert say? Uh, Dr. Feelgoods, like, oh, Something. yeah, man, yeah, that's exactly did that shit. So, you know, in, 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 for as, as long as we have this medical marijuana available in the state and they're seeing the reduction in opioid dependence and opioid deaths and they're seeing, um, you know, a, a much wider range, they're going to loosen up what the requirements are for um, getting a medical marijuana card, they're going to loosen up who can, I think we'll still have a pretty tight control on like how you can get it and who can sell it. Um, I mean, look at our state liquor stores. So I, I think there's still going to continue right. to be some, some tighter controls around that stuff. But I think you'll have more doctors that can prescribe it. It will become easier for them to prescribe it overall. Not in this bill. In this bill, they're revoking pharmacy medical provider <laughs> registration. If like they authorize the Department of Human health and human services and to revoke them. The big thing is they're also creating a medical cannabis policy advisory board. Yeah. So they're going to cr- create a and board. And they extended the sunset group, sunset date for the existing group to continue working on it. Yeah. They're going. So my point is that as long as this exists, it's going to continue to get revisions. I think long term, that's good. I mean, we've seen it. We have really strict alcohol laws in the state, but over the last 20 years, a lot of the most stringent and ridiculous ones have started to loosen up. So it takes a lot of time in a state like this, but I think you're starting to see, you know, people and, and people in the church that end up getting mar- medical marijuana prescribed to them and use it and recognize well, the benefits. Like those are the things it's that because will, the huntsman's came out and said, Hey, this is a good thing. And then all of a sudden the, the church is like, Oh, well, maybe, it, maybe it, we should. It, it's, it. it's, I mean, it's sad that that's what drives it, but that is something that's that true. drives it. So there was another, there's a fam, family planning services revision that requires Medicaid to apply for a waiver or state plan amendment to extend family planning services to certain low income individuals. Yeah, but you can't get an abortion either, guys. You can't go to a clinic anymore. You're going to have to go to a hospital to get an abortion. And not, but, and, and we're not going to extend our family planning services to you so, poor. So you poor people, we're not going to. We're not going to try and help you with contraception. Yeah, because handing out condoms is bad. And and so we're not going to help you with contraception or fam- proper family planning. Like, don't have one at, you know, $20,000 a year and two kids already. But when you do, you got to have the baby. Yeah, there's no option. There's no... You don't get an option. You got to go to a hospital, but they're not going to touch you unless, you know, it's rape or incest and you report it to in the, the first 18 months and report it to the police. Yeah. Anyway. Huh. There's a there was a <laughs> firearms reporting requirement too. Requires the Bureau of Criminal Identification to collect statistics on the source of firearms recovered from restricted persons. I thought that, they already did that. That's a little weird. I thought they already did, but obviously I'm not. surprised that actually that Utah did so, that. So I don't know if you remember a year and a half, two years ago, when Brighton's car was broken into uh, and his pistol was stolen. Oh, I didn't know that. So 
he had to file all of the stuff and, and they actually recovered it within a month or two. Uh, however, it had been used in a crime. So they're like, well, you can take it back, but there's all these rules that go along with it because it was used in a crime. You can't do this. You have to do that. And they're like, or we can destroy it. And he's like, just destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, there was a, I'm going to move into housing. Hold on. There's a gun safety amendment while we're talking about it that created a waiting period between the purchase of a firearm from a dealer and the delivery of the firearm to the purchaser. I wonder how that affects like, so gun, like the great, great American gun show thing. Gun shows do. are private sales. Yeah, that's ah. different. So what that is is so like, let's say I want to buy a gun directly from the manufacturer, from Browning, from whoever. Mm-hmm. I can't have it delivered to my house, but I can have it delivered to Sportsman's Warehouse. And then go get And then go get it. it. What they're saying is that that period of time. So you still have to do your background check, whatever you have to do. It, but it, it says you can't, it can't just come in and you go pick it up that day. There's a waiting period. Yeah, you, you, which is not a big deal. I mean, that I've never had a problem with waiting to get your gun or having to register to get your gun. It, or I think you should have a, have a license to own a gun. I think you should have to have insurance specifically when you have a gun. But um, so anyway, we're going to go to housing now. So don't interrupt <laughs> housing discussion with random bill about, you know. Sorry, Jeremy has me on the, like, the number by <laughs> number list. And so, yeah, like, I'm, that's how the, I'm going. That's by. why you're bouncing Hold around on. everywhere. Before you start, the state crusta- crustacean designation. Oh, yeah. It's the brine shrimp. Brine shrimp of is the state crustacean. Which makes sense. We have I mean, no others. It's, well, and it's a big industry out at the Great Salt Lake as long as it still exists. So what are, where are you that you're going so we can be more in tune with what you're doing? Uh, well, I'm looking at some of the, the like roundup articles that I posted. Oh, um, well, you they, only did two of those, which are you on a specific one? Cause I opened both links. Um, which one is this? I don't know. I keep bouncing between them. So, oh, okay. Um, but I want to talk about the housing stuff because I think it's really we'll find important. out which one you're on and we'll find it. Just fucking look for how homelessness or housing. You'll find it because there's they, they both have sections on them. Um, okay. So homelessness is a big problem in Utah. Housing affordability is a big problem in Utah. Um, you know, we've had a lot of infighting with um, different jurisdictions and stuff. And um, they are the, – the legislature has passed some bills to – um, open up some tax incentives uh, for moderate and low income housing in the state, smaller homes, um, you know, dense housing uh, sort of thing. Um, there's a, a big homelessness bill that cleared the legislature um, that requires counties to come up with um, shelter plans and implement um, like um, some other stuff like a code blue plan, which has to do with extreme weather and shelters Um so it it stops camp abatements in in bad weather so they can like keep their camps in place you can't just go kick them out if the weather's shitty um so there's a bunch of stuff like that one thing that happened that was really interesting summit county's pissed <laughs> so one thing that tends to happen we saw this out in Harriman actually as well communities will will build stuff, they'll have houses, and then a developer comes in and buys a chunk of land and wants to put in, let's say, a five-story apartment building. So if you remember, what is it, the Olympic Village or the Olympic, I don't remember, Olympic Hills or some shit like that out in Harriman, and all the residents of Harriman were super pissed that they were building it, um, and 
basically there was a big fight uh, in the county and the state had to step in. Similar thing happened up in Park City uh, in Kim- the Kimball Junction area. Um, a developer wanted to put in a big mixed use project, which means more affordable housing in Summit County, which holy fuck, Summit County needs affordable housing. It is expensive as shit to yep. live up in that area. That's Park City, by the way. Uh, and Summit County was trying to block it because they don't want lower income nope. housing. And um, the the state basically said, nope, we got to step in. Fuck you guys. You can't. You, you can't. It's, it's you've you've got to do that. Do that. Um, so there, there's been a bit of that happening. That one was getting a lot of attention in particular. The code blue plan. Yeah, I talked about that. That's See, a, now when you're, now when you're, when we're following along with you, we can participate better. <laughs> You had the resources. You were just choosing to go. I didn't know that that's what you were doing. Senate Bill 1, Senate Bill 2. <laughs> Senate I was Bill looking three. through finding interesting Senate Bill names. So, yeah, a lot of housing stuff passed. I, I'm trying to remember where I read. Um, there there was um, the legislation on the, the low-income housing in particular. They were talking about the types of housing that they were trying to incentivize builders to build. And I can't remember exactly what it was. I think they were also introducing um, some additional appropriations for first-time home buyers. Uh, oh, yeah, I heard about money that, there. actually. They, I think that one passed. So I actually yeah. got an email from Salt Lake County uh, asking for bids for designers on ADUs. Oh, nice. Um, I'm still trying to decide if that's something that I want to do, but they're, they're, they're really pushing to make that a thing. So that they've been against it for, I mean, forever. And in the last probably year and a half to two years, they're finally now realizing ADUs are good and we need them because just, I don't know what that is. Um, it's like building a mother-in-law's apartment behind your house and renting it out or letting family live there. Or So it's a second residence on your primary residence, mm-hmm. basically. An attached um, dwelling unit, I think, is what it stands Does for. Does it have to be Accessory attached? dwelling unit oh, that's is what accessory, that stands that's for. Right. Uh, no, it, it, it doesn't have a separate address, so it's not like an apartment, but it's like if you had a, had a detached garage with an apartment above it. Oh, like Rick and Kelly were going to do. So, yeah. But it's been like nearly impossible. They've said no to that for years and years and years and years. And with the housing shortage and the price of everything, the last year and a half to two years, they've actually started to push for it. So, yeah, I actually got a message from the city asking if I wanted to submit designs for it. So anyway, yeah, a lot of things have been changing with housing. If you do, put lots of Murphy beds in. I want one. <laughs> do you guys want to talk about? Um, do you guys want to talk about uh, educational stuff? There's a bunch of sure. education legislation that was we passed. We don't need no education. So we talked about this. Um, we got. We're. I'm still pissed about it. So House Bill 215. Public school teachers get a six thousand dollar raise. Woo! And we also have the Utah Fit Stupid School Choice. So $239 million out of a $1 billion education budget is designated specifically for scholarships to um, charter and private schools instead of public schools, which is absurd. I say this as someone who sent my kids to private school. This is stupid. Yeah, we talked about this at length um, when they first proposed it. Yeah, but well, what, what we talked about before is most most of the people who send their kids to private school, this bill changes nothing. If they got the money, great. If they didn't, it doesn't matter. They're still sending the, their kids to those schools. 
So all it's really doing is taking money away from the schools that need it. And let, let me get, so again, this is a quarter of the $1 billion budget, $239 million gets appropriated to this program. They're estimating 5,000 students will be granted the scholarship money. That comes out to roughly $48,000 per student to not go to public school and to go to a private school instead. 48 thousand fucking dollars a year per student to go to a private school who gets that money now is the private school and i'm sure not all of that forty eight thousand. there's some for administering the program and everything else but that's an awful but, lot of money but we're not only spending between two and four thousand per kid in public school can you imagine if they actually spent forty eight thousand dollars a kid in our education system in public school that would be this wouldn't even be a fucking amazing. issue if you actually funded public school the way it was supposed to be funded you wouldn't have an issue where people are like, oh, well, we should go to, we should look at private schools. It's not about that. It's about the second part of this, which is a lot of bills on curriculum and transparency and what can be taught and what can be run and micromanaging the teachers. That's what it's about. It's about the fact that they don't have control over private school curriculum. Right. But you pick where you go. Yeah, so you can either go where the state dictates the education, or you can go where someone else dictates it. So, I mean, they're still, they still have to meet certain criteria, obviously, but it's, it's fucking absurd. And if you paid teachers and you put money into the public school system, you should, you wouldn't have to worry about providing vouchers to anything. That wouldn't even be an issue. Private schools would be a lot, lot We are going to end up with the least educated. Yeah, we're pretty group, damn close already. Group of kids. Yeah, you look at other states where teachers make yeah. a, a nice wage. They want to stay. I follow a teacher on TikTok, and she's, she delivers pizza at night. She, guys, she says, I'm a teacher, and I want to be a teacher. We keep talking about teachers who want to leave. She's like, I don't want to leave. I want to be a teacher, but I put in my time as a teacher, and then I go deliver pizzas for four or five hours every night. Because you can't afford to just be a teacher. Um, really good bill passed all day kindergarten. Uh, is now funded. So um, it's up to individual school districts um, to decide when uh, they're going to offer it. But they are funding all-day kindergarten, which is fantastic. It's I something think, that I think is... is I, I would have loved that if they would have had that for my kids. That would have been the best. And I think they would have been fine. Oh, there's, there are those parents, oh, my baby. But I think it's great. My kids went to full-day kindergarten, and it was awesome. Yeah, I think it's really helpful for kids. I do, too. Um, because it's like, it's a nice cross between still being super like kid friendly, like, like a preschool where you're still like, you know, kind of doing a lot of fun and games and teaching them how to be in school for a full day before you move into first grade. Because the trouble is, is kindergarten still kind of like fun, fun and games ish and a half day. And then all of a sudden you go to first grade and you're expected to sit still in a chair and like listen to the teacher. And I think full day kindergarten is a really good way to kind of transition that time so that they can kind of do it a little bit as the year progresses so that those kids are ready to sit in a classroom and learn. Uh, one thing I think Karen Kwan sponsored the Senate bill, uh, who is our, the replacement for Karen Maine. Um, but they did pass a piece of legislation, uh, that says high school, this seems trivial, but it's, it's really it's not. Kwan and Eliason. Um, but high school seniors can now wear cultural and religious regalia at their graduation ceremonies. So any of you that have had kids graduate in recent months or years, years really, not months, um, 
there's a big thing in high schools where they're making it so you can't put lay, you can't have lays and you can't, and that is, especially for the Pacific Islander community, that's a huge deal so to I, have. I know when I was in high school, they did all of that, but yeah, but it's become, and they did it in my children's pirate school. You could have all of that in their pirate school. Private. I said private. private. I, I, heard, I heard pirate school. My tongue is <laughs> But anyway, uh, so yeah, really, really cool. I'm, I'm very happy with that. Um, it's basically enshrining that into law so that, uh, uh, kids can, can start doing that. And I, I think it would, um, I think it would be bad of us to, oh, one other big thing with education. Um, I forgot about this one. Uh, so schools in the state of Utah used to get assigned letter grades each year. They did away with that finally. Uh, and so, um, that is, uh, no longer going to happen. That bill passed. So, so that they're getting rid of the grading system, the grading system for the school, not for kids. Oh, for kids. So, so like basically the, oh. the, they used to, the Utah State Board of Education, um, would, based on standardized test scores, essentially they'd go, okay, Taylorsville High gets a B, Kearns High gets an F, right? <laughs> they did away with that. And the Board of Education and the Utah Education Association were both super in favor of doing away with it because it's garbage. It's not a real good way of, of identifying. Well, the hard part is, is that surely the schools that are the F, that's the one that needs the money in the sport, but they don't get it because they're the F. They get less money. Yeah. So, um, okay. The only other thing that I really want to talk about with school, unless you guys have something else, has to do with educational funding. So the state of Utah um, has tied, the legislative body has tied uh, specifically um, education hostage. Um, so there's, so we've already got the, sal- the salary and the voucher bill thing happening. Um, but uh, we also have a funding amendment um, um, in 2024. It's funny because depending on where you read this, they talk about it a little bit differently. But essentially, it's a constitutional amendment. Hold on, I don't, I don't want to misspeak about this. So let me, um, let me make sure I speak about it correctly. Hold on, just one second. This is where we need the music. Well, I had it in front of me, and then I was like looking at a bunch of other shit, and then, um, uh, and then I I lost it again. Um, let me just see if I can find it. I'd fill in, but I I think I feel like you're doing okay. a certain thing, and I don't want to mess you up. So, um, the the state legislature has said, hey. Um, we need to figure out it's food. It has to do with food tax. <laughs> oh yes. So oh, if you would have said that, I've um, been like scrolling around trying to find you. Yeah, and I, I saw just that one. The, so so what the legislative body has done. So we passed a food tax. Was it last year or two years ago? I don't remember. Uh, but we tax food at the grocery store, which is a fucking horrible regressive tax that hurts <gasps> low income families more than anyone else because you don't have as much money and food is a necessity. Anyway, we've talked about that ad nauseum whenever that shit was going on a couple years ago. So the legislature, because we have in this giant budget, $850 million in tax cuts coming. So the state income tax got lowered this year. So you'll see some adjustments on your income tax next year. So really, I mean, 
good thing all around. We have a huge budget surplus. Our state's very conservative. They're going to give that money back to the people. But the tax on food is getting tied into a vote on a constitutional amendment that comes in 2024. That amendment that they want to do is make it so they can tip so that they can get into the income tax that is coming out of people's pockets. Um, and so in the state of Utah, constitutionally, uh, income tax is specifically earmarked for public education, meaning all the income tax that we get goes to public education and it's broken out like there's specific and the legislature can't touch that. They can't alter that. They can't use that tax money for something else because the fear when the state was set up and I think still the fear today, they tried to change this constitutional amendment a bunch. And the fear is, um, yeah, I saw the time. And the fear is that if we, well, you held up your phone to me as if I needed to see the time. You, you freaking wave at me and stuff and I'm not supposed to say it. I literally was just reminding you. Uh, and, and, and so anyway, so that they have tried to change that a bunch, but you have to have the public vote on a constitutional amendment change. So what they've done is they've said, Hey, if you will allow us to get into this money and use this stuff for the general fund, we will repeal the sales tax on food. And so, isn't it ingredients as well? Yeah. Well, that's part of yeah, food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so, we'll see what happens in 2024 in the election, oh, in the general election, because the general election, we will have a constitutional amendment on the ballot that says the state of Utah will repeal the food tax. Now, there's nothing that says they can't go at it back in later, right. but they'll repeal the food tax if we allow the legislative body to have some chunk of that money as discretionary so that they can make adjustments to how that income tax uh, is spent. When, so. To be fair, when I read it, I read removes the state tax, state tax imposed on amounts paid or charged for food ingredients. But it says for food and food ingredients. And I yeah. only read food once. Okay. So lightning round. What are, uh, anything else that you guys think is like, we super want to talk about because. So I want to talk about the Diwali and Diwali, however you say it. Diwali. The, so I did say it right the first time. And the Halloween and <laughs> all of that weird stuff that they did. Um, I was just trying to find it because one of them ha- talks about it. Okay. So Senator Fillmore passed a bill adding Diwali to the list of recognized holidays in Utah. Woohoo. Um, but a provision allowing for fireworks was stripped, which makes sense. We shouldn't have fireworks here. It's. But we, we, we burn here. Um, and then Senator Kurt Colomore's resolution to have Halloween be informally recognized and celebrated on the last Friday of October. That it failed, failed to pass. Thank God. That's the dumbest so shit ever. I fucking hate Utah sometimes for that. We have so um, many other important things. Let's not waste our time with that. What is uh, This is so stupid. Is Senator Stratton... Uh, a, a, put up a bill, passed a bill designating September as American Founders and Constitution Month. Inviting people to read the Constitution. I feel like that's just dumb. What about you, Jeremy? You got any lightning round ones that you want to talk about real fast? Uh, I had the... Oh, yeah, my, my beer order and delivery. <laughs> I know it isn't going to happen. And what did I say when you brought it up? That it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> um, oh, uh, I, th- this is actually a big thing that happened. Um, I, there's not much we can do about it. And- oh, we have a state mushroom now, too. <laughs> Sorry. So say what it is. You're going to just it's, jump in. It's the porcini? porcini. The porcini, yeah. Uh Unified Police Department is dissolved. Um, it's going to take time. Um, in 2025 is the target date. 
Um, Rosie Rivera reluctantly agreed to it. She's the sheriff of Salt Lake County. This is what's funny. Years ago, there was no unified police department. The sheriff's department was subbed out to all these different townships and, and unincorporated areas of, of, of Utah to do their policing. And the township started getting bigger. And so, um, you know, you had, um, Riverton, Harriman were starting to get bigger. And so they wanted a real police force that wasn't the sheriff's department. So they created the unified police department, which is an, arm of the sheriff's department, but it has its own chief. The sheriff's office really is only budgetary sort of thing for it. And that worked for a long time. The problem is that all comes out of county budget, which everyone gets taxed for in the county. So that includes Riverton, who now has their own police force, and Harriman, who now has their own police force, I believe. And so these cities were seriously complaining that they were basically getting hit twice to pay for Unified and to pay for that. So now Unified's going to go away again, <laughs> and all these little townships like us here in Kearns will end up which just contracting we'll be back, we'll be with, back the with the sheriff's department, which is just stupid. It's going to cost a lot of money to redo all the facilities, turn them back in a sheriff's office. So for, for like Riverton, being unified was a train wreck. Yeah, it wasn't great. Because and that's why they made their own police they're department. They're coming out of Salt Lake. They're, you, you need assistance. It's taking forever. And so for some of the cities like Riverton, because we're on the far end of the Yeah, valley. but you know what they've done now is they put offices in all the municipalities yeah. since it's been around for a long enough time. So I know for some of the cities like Riverton, going back to our own police force was what we needed. It was the right move. And if they would have stuck it out, they would have been fine. Like, we have a couple police stations here in Kearns now. They're unified. But all that stuff's going to end up having to now go back to the sheriff's department, repaint, repurpose. Like, anyway... That's the thing that happened. I get, I get why it happened, but it's, you know, there wasn't really another easy solution. So, um, what else? Oh, hey, there was a bill to expand the sale of products made with raw, unpasteurized milk. So remember when we were talking to our friends at the oh yeah Utah, over at Utah Natural Foods? Yeah, Farm. so yeah, um, they have to be clearly labeled, and they can only be sold in farm stores. But there's a a better bill for that, and. They're expanding grants available for food, um, for livestock and hydroponic crops, which is nice. Also, we got a new state flag, if you didn't know. Yeah. I did. That, I uh, opened up the, I opened up to see what, which one won. That officially passed, so we got a I new actually, state flag. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> Takes some getting used to, I guess. It could be worse. It, the, the, the problem with it is I look at it, it looks like, like the Real logo with the one star because we won one championship. Yeah, when we get our second Utah, star. Utah, we won one championship. <laughs> like, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, I liked our old flag. I don't like the new one that much, but whatever. Uh, I think we'll get to our guest now. All right. Uh, joining us this week is uh, Curry Stegan again um, from Passion for the Paranormal. We. When did we talk to Curry last? Like, oh, you'll have to look at what episode that it was. It wasn't that long ago, was it? It was within the last year, probably, right? Uh, it's been like four years almost. <laughs> Has it really been four years? Well, it would have been me? back when Jess. It all meshes together. Hold on, I'll I'll find him. I got the I got the magic touch. Um, um, pre COVID, man, it was pre COVID. Wow. That's how long it's been. That's crazy. That's a long time, man. Uh, and our listeners that are listening to this episode right now, um, they're like, um, 
they're like, Hey, uh, how long is this show going to be? Because normally we do, you know, just a few minutes of an intro. We've, we've done, we've been talking for like an hour at this point. Um, because the legislative session is, uh, um, you know, just gotten over. Holy cow. This was from like back around my birthday in 2019. Wow. Wow. So. What episode was it? Uh, episode 155. B education was the name of the episode. What was it? Uh, B education episode 155. So that's a long time ago. We're on episode 354, by the way, Curry. Wow. Congrats. <laughs> you guys so, have been around for a while, man. Yeah, we have. That's for sure. That's it's funny sure. how though every, everything we did in the past was just a little while ago, it seems. And then when we look at it, it's like, no, that was like three or four years ago. <laughs> 200 episodes, 200 episodes. That's like almost four years. That's just shy of four years at 52 a year. Wow. That's awesome. That's we've been doing this for too long, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been up to, Curry? You know, just uh, staying busy with the podcast, uh, trying to uh, get done with the book, which obviously it's done now, uh, getting ready to uh, release it here on 15 March. So it's been a busy time. But I think the funny thing is, is the last time I was on the show almost four years ago, I was talking to you guys about trying to get the book done within about a year. And here we are. (laughs) Here we are almost four years later, and finally, after much blood, sweat, and tears, here we are. So, it's, Well, I mean, and you had all of COVID to work on this book. So right? a lot of people wrote a lot of books over COVID, like Brandon Sanderson, uh, who's you know big, big-time famous fantasy author that lives down in Utah County. Uh, he wrote four books during COVID. I know. There's no excuses, man. I just, I, I, I mean, just, he is a professional author. Like that's what he does for a living. So I don't expect you to be able to pace that guy, but yeah. And this was the first one. And, you know, I just kept dragging my feet and, uh, you know, I, I'd get going on it and then I'd be like, okay, I don't like that. I'm starting, you know, almost like starting over and, uh, rewrite after rewrite after rewrite. And, you know, it was just, uh, it's kind of a painstaking progress pro, pro, process. Don't write a book, man. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've got to ask you, Curry, because you're not, so, uh, you know, when people hear paranormal, uh, a lot of them um, think, uh, a lot of them think like, oh, just ghosts and crap like that. But if I remember right talking to you, you are heavy into like UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, skinwalkers, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, man, I cover it all on the podcast show and I'm five plus years into the podcast myself. So, uh, I know I only do two episodes a month and, uh, it's just all I really feel like I have time to do. But yeah, I cover it all. But the book, you know, is really more about my journey into paranormal investigating. And, you know, I talk a little bit about how I had a UFO experience as a, as a young kid. I think I was like 12 years old, uh, you know, just because I think that kind of opened my mind a little bit of, to possibilities. Uh, and when we talked before, I think I talked and, you know, I was probably long winded. Uh, but, you know, I talked about how I started as kind of a skeptic. Uh, and I like to think of myself as a curious skeptic because there's uh, I had uh, Greg Lawson on the show. He wrote the book, How to Be a Paranormal Detective. And we talked about kind of this gamut 
of or spectrum, if you will, of where people are. Some people are on one end where they believe everything, right? Everything they see here about the strange and paranormal, they believe. There's the other end of the spectrum where they're cynics. And you could, you know, a ghost could walk right in front of them and they would still deny it. And then yeah, you're, kinda... you're talking, you're talking to that, that end right here. I'm not a big, <laughs> like I, I think that, like, I don't not think that they exist, but I also don't think they're as prevalent as people want them to be. Sure. And so I think I was kind of more that middle ground, um, probably more towards the cynic side when I started. But, you know, I just had a lot of people that were, you know, they would talk to me about stories and I'd be like, well, that's okay. That's interesting. You don't sound like you're crazy. Uh, and I never thought you were crazy. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, family and friends and coworkers and yeah, I had a lot of stories shared with me. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people that have had experiences out there. Problem is I never had any experiences. So, you know, I, I, pick up about 2005 time frame and my wife and I kind of started watching the ghost on her show, you know, on sci-fi and I thought it was interesting, but I thought, yeah, you know, maybe there's something to this. Maybe not. I don't know. I haven't experienced it. And so, you know, that kind of, I kind of went along like that for several years. You know, my wife, uh, she had psychic readings done and stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's woo-woo stuff, you know. <laughs> I, <laughs> you, you, you know, I just, I was in that kind of space. That was the space I was in. And, uh, you know, until I actually went out, I said I'm a curious skeptic, which means the more I hear about something, the more curious I get about it and the more I want to find out about it. And so eventually I got to that point where I'm like, well, maybe I just need to explore for myself and find out if there is really something to this, right? I had a, uh, a UFO in experience, a UFO sighting when I was a kid. So, hey, maybe there is something to this paranormal. But, you know, it, what's the old adage? You always hear people say, I'll believe it when it happens to me. And so, right. you know, that's kind of where I was. And that was just kind of the space I was in. And so your book is really about that journey you said then? Yeah, so it's really about how I started the journey and you know even going prior to me ever getting involved in the paranormal and you know I cover stories that people shared with me. Uh I talk about a few strange things that happened when I was a kid. Uh and I'll I'll give you a case in point. Uh when I was young, you know, me and my brother and friends we were probably not as well supervised as we should have been. <laughs> However, a lot of us older generation as kids were not really supervised. Not that, at all. That's kind of the us 70s, 80s, 90s kids. We, we really didn't have much supervision. No, we got told to go outside and play. Yeah, we were just, having a discussion about that amongst friends today, but I was an opposite child. Since I was an only child, I, I never went outside to play by myself. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this was a one summer night, and uh, my brother and I and a friend of mine decided to jump on our BMX bikes and head up to the Ogden Cemetery and try and spook each other out, you know, ride our bikes around. <laughs> Every and good it, story starts something like that. Right? <laughs> you know, and, and you know, who does that, it, you know, at, you know, 12 years old or whatever? You know, most parents are, you know, they got their kids locked up by 10 o'clock. 
you know, and so we jump on our BMX bikes and ride a couple of miles over to the Ogden Cemetery. And uh, I'm I'm going to date myself here, man. This was early 80s. So uh, Ogden Cemetery looked a little different back then. Ogden uh, looked a lot different back then. <laughs> Ogden was a bit scarier back then. It was, yeah. Uh, so we uh, we eventually talked ourselves into going into the cemetery and you know, it's probably close to midnight. We're riding our bikes around. One, we're trespassing. Two, we're out past curfew. You know, just just being stupid kids. And uh, Ogden Cemetery at this time had these kind of gargoyle statues that were in this turn circle. And so the the story was, if you rode around these these statues, it would look like the eyes were following you, right? So. So we had to put that to the test, right? <laughs> you got to find that one out. <laughs> you got to find out, man. So we started riding our bikes around in circles around these statues. And lo and behold, it felt like the eyes were following us. You know, it was really creepy. And, uh, you know, we're riding around in circles. And, uh, you know, eventually we got tired of doing that. And so we went exploring in other parts of the cemetery. And we got to a point where we said, yeah, maybe it's time to get out of here. And we start kind of pedaling for the exit. And all of a sudden, we start hearing this real uh, loud organ music playing. Huh. I did. So uh, I have to ask you, okay, this isn't about, this isn't about the, the book at all. But, right. you know, understanding like your love for all of those other paranormal things, the last couple of years, some you know, something happened in the last couple of years uh, from a, a UFO standpoint that has been unbelievable. The release of all those classified uh, images and and uh, reports of all the the near you know near miss encounters and stuff like that on the Eastern Seaboard and in other uh, theaters of operation, and then of course like the last couple of months with Chinese spy balloon and all the other objects in lower, uh, lower elevations, you know, at like 20,000 feet or whatever. What I got to ask what your thoughts are on those because you're a, you're a UFO guy. So uh, I'm curious with all this new stuff out there, have you just been like loving it and diving deep into it or uh, how has that gone for you? Uh, some of it's just been a lot of noise to me. Um, you know, the balloon stuff, uh, it's really bizarre that we used a high-tech aircraft with, a, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollar missile. Half, to a, shoot. half a billion dollar missile. Half a billion dollar, whatever it was. It was <laughs> a huge, balloon. <laughs> huge price tag to shoot down a Chinese balloon, man. Um, obviously, I got heavily interested when the 2017, December 2017 videos came out because it was kind of like I felt vindicated. I'm like telling friends, hey, man, I told you so. You know, <laughs> you know, we're not all a bunch of tinfoil hat wearing, you know, <laughs> SOBs, you know, um, there's something to this. And, uh, you know, more and more just started coming out. So they had the 2004 Tic Tac incident, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they're flying off. They're doing uh, preps for a deployment. They're doing an air defense exercise. And all of a sudden, these Tic Tac looking UFOs pop up and you know, they're running circles around our aircraft and these guys are like, hey, there's nothing we can do about it, right? Yeah, they're dropping like 20,000 feet in elevation in like seconds. Right. And coming back. Like, that's insane. Okay, so the other interesting thing about that 2004 incident uh, that a lot of people don't know is 
they were actually offensively jamming our radars. Huh. Um, so the, the radars on those aircraft uh, were getting jammed. That is considered an act of war. Um, so if you offensively jam another aircraft, uh, based on our rule book and our ROE and the Navy's ROE, that is an act of war. Yeah, they can engage. So the, the problem is, what were they going to do about it? These things were running circles around them, uh, doing right angle turns. Uh, you know, like you said, I think they went from like 80,000 feet down to about 100 feet within a matter of seconds. And these things just, whenever they decided, okay, we're going to stop playing, uh, you know, the pilot's got a single track, single target track uh, on his uh, flare pod. He's tracking it. And then all of a sudden this thing just says, I'm done and just takes off. And it's like, okay, if the Chinese or Russians can do that, <laughs> they, they've leapfrogged us, man. They have completely leapfrogged us in technology. So There's no way it's those guys. Yeah. Look so, at Russia at the moment. There's no way they've got They to. might have some hypersonic <laughs> missiles, but they don't. I mean, that's the extent of their advancement in Russia. Man, they can't even handle Ukraine. So, yeah, uh, you well, know. Like, and I have a hard time believing it's the Chinese. The Chinese still haven't been able to match the current technologies that we have. That's part of the whole deal with pulling all our chip manufacturing and, you know, high tech assets out of China is we don't want them to catch up as quickly as they have been uh, because of, of that problem. So I just, I wanted to get the impression from someone that was really into this stuff because it's, uh, I think it's, it's enlightened. I think, like you said, a whole lot of the world in terms of like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of unexplained stuff out there that, um, is, is very real and very weird. It's a little less conspiracy like these days because there's more proof that this kind of stuff is actually happening. Y'all can thank old, old Donald Trump for a lot of this though, opening up those, uh, those, uh, coffers and, and, um, you know, getting that, getting that stuff passed through Congress and then, uh, signing it so that they, they started releasing some of that data. So. Don't forget about rock star Tom DeLong. He had a big yeah. part in this. People don't realize it, but man, it's amazing that he put that group together. Uh, Louis Elizondo, uh, Chris Mellon, some, some insiders that how he was able to do that and orchestrate all that. I don't know, but it was impressive. And that group had a lot to do with those videos getting released. So yeah, that's good. Uh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff for sure. Yeah. Sorry to, to sidetrack a bit there. We can go back. To, <laughs> we can go back to the book. So okay. yeah, you spent the better part of the last like 10 years writing this book. Um, last well, it was four, probably <laughs> four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it just kept dragging on and on. And, you know, like I said, rewrite after rewrite. I have a friend review it and he's like tore it apart. And, and I'm like, you know, OK, I'm not going to go the traditional publishing route with this thing because they're going to tell me how to write it and what to say and what not to say. And I'm like, Hey man, this is my story, you know, um, for better or worse, whether it sells 10 books or whether it sells a thousand books, I wanted to tell my story the way I wanted to tell it. And so it's a, it's an indie book. Um, you know, yeah, I did some rewrites, uh, but I didn't want to go the traditional publishing route. One, they may never have said, yeah, we'll publish it. Yeah, exactly. Right. And two, I wanted to write it the way I wanted to write it. I wanted to tell my story. So like I said, for better or worse, uh, that's what I decided to do. So what uh, what's the name of the book and how are people going to be able to find it when it's when it's actually out there? 
All right, I got a uh, got a proof copy of it right here. So, Walking in the Shadows of Strangers, My Journey into the Paranormal. And uh, right now it's available for pre-order if you want to get the Kindle version. Uh, you can pre-order it and it'll be delivered to your Kindle on 15 March. If you want to get the paperback copy like I'm holding, this is a proof copy actually, uh, you have to wait till 15 March to order it. So uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can go to my website, passion, the number four, theparanormal.com. Find a link to it there, and uh, you can order it there as well. Excellent, excellent. How much is it? Uh, how much is it going to be for for folks? Do you know yet? Do you have your price point? Well, if you uh, if you get in right now and pre-order the Kindle version, if if uh, you prefer to get that version, it's four ninety nine right now. We'll go up to seven ninety nine on day of release and fourteen ninety nine for the paperback version. There you go. That's fantastic. That's the beautiful thing about this day and age. We you can you can self um, self publish self publish your books. It's just like YouTube. So many people they don't have a TV show, but they've got a YouTube channel that's as. Well, I think that's a that's yeah. a great thing about self published works. Like you're able to publish Jeremy um, architectural slam poetry, right. which no publisher in their right mind would ever actually nope. back. Um, but I, I think to, to what you were saying, Curry, with, um, you know, being able to tell your story the way you want to tell it, one of the things that a lot of people don't think about is like books in a traditional sense for, for generations, much like TV shows and stuff like that, they're very produced in a sense. Like publishers want specific things and they will have authors rewrite books to fit certain genres. And some authors are really good at it. That's just a style that they write and it kind of falls into that, but others are not. And I think for a long time, you know, people are railroaded into, you have to read this style of literature, like YA novels follow this sort of form and every one of them follows this sort of form. And I think now in the world of self-publishing, you can now get a chance to hear people's stories and read what their creative thoughts are producing. Have them tell it the way they want to tell it. And I'm not saying that all publishers are bad or that you should not have your books like edited and torn apart so that you have to go rewrite them. Cause I think that process is really important to turning, you know, raw thoughts into something that is actually consumable by, by, by someone else. But at the same time, there's a difference between that and reformulating things to, to fit some, some style. And so I, I think that's a, a really good part of, of self-publishing. Now the downside to that is you do get people that don't have anyone read their crap and they self-publish and it is garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, did you, could, could you at least put this into like chat GPT or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> So, uh, yeah. And I, I get that some people are not going to resonate with this book. Uh, some people are going to be like, okay, there's a bunch of paranormal speak in there that I could give a shit less about. Uh, I get it. Um, you know, it's my journey. Uh, yeah, I talk about paranormal equipment. I try not to drown people in it. Uh, but I've already had one guy who's a friend of mine review it, and he's a UFO guy, and he said, hey, man, this is just not my cup of tea. Uh, you know, there's some good stories in there, but too much par- too much talk about paranormal equipment and that kind of stuff. So even though I tried not to, to put too much of that in there, uh, you know, there's going to be some people are just going to say, hey, <laughs> 
you know. But it sounds I, like anyone that has even a slightest interest in like paranormal investigation in particular is going to find interest in your in your book. Well, I would hope so. Uh, but I don't talk about, uh, you know, and don't overly sensationalize my experiences. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not Hollywood scare tales. Um, it's my true experience in the paranormal. Uh, however, there's a few stories in there that tend to be a little bit creepy and unsettling. And so even though that was not my intent, I'm not trying to keep people awake at night with my stories. I'm just trying to say, hey, here were my experiences over the last 10 years, and they've been so many. Uh, any, anything from seeing shadow figures, uh, disembodied voices, all kinds of phantom noises, getting touched, uh, EVP after EVP, uh, all kinds of those types of experiences, witnessing self-illuminating balls of light, you know, right in front of my face, all those kinds of things. What I didn't experience is I didn't see the full body apparition, right? That's the big holy grail. Everybody wants to see the full body apparition. Well, when you get into the paranormal, first of all, when I got started in this, I thought I might get into this and nothing will happen. And I'll just say, uh, you know, I'll do it three or four times and I'll be like, okay, I'm done with this. Time to move on. Uh, (laughs) Truthfully, it didn't happen that way. I was really actually surprised, to be honest with you. I got in and I thought, yeah, it'll probably be pretty slow or maybe not much will happen. I mean, right away on my first couple of outings, things happened. And so, you know, for me being a skeptic and never really having any true paranormal experiences when I was young, that surprised me. And uh, I wouldn't be here today still telling this story and have written a book and doing a podcast for all these years if it wouldn't have happened that way. Right. So I think there are some people that get involved for a little bit thinking, hey, it's going to be like the TV shows, man. I'm going to go out and, you know, all this crazy stuff's going to be happening and I'm going to go running out of a building. And then they go do an investigation with our group and they sit in the dark and nothing's happening. Go, This shit's bored. Boring. (laughs) I'm I'm out. I'm out, man. You know, you guys, I don't know how you do this. And, you know, they're out or they get scared and run out of the building and then you never see them again. So, (laughs) you know, but it just, it just didn't happen that way for me. I got involved in, you know, I had experiences early on and I was like, wow, you know, I got to explore more. And it just kept pulling me in further and further. And so just, you know, it's kind of like going down that rabbit hole, you know, and the rabbit hole just keeps getting deeper. You want to have more experiences. You go fishing or you go golfing and you have you, you you go golf and you have that one great shot and the rest of the round was horrible. OK, maybe that one shot keeps you coming back. You know, it's kind of that way for me in the paranormal. You know, I'd go on an investigation and one cool thing had happened the rest of the night. It's quiet. But that kept me coming back and wanting to explore and wanting to find out more. Well, awesome, Curry. Um, where can people find your stuff? Um, again, the the name of the book is Walking in the Shadows of Strangers. Uh, and then what, My Journey into the Paranormal? Is that the rest of it? That's it. Yep. Look at that. I, I know what I'm talking about here. It wasn't <laughs> Way to go. Fun. First try, uh, man. Where can people find your podcast and, and everything else? Well, again, go to the website, uh, passion, the number four, theparanormal.com. And uh, you can find links to the uh, to the podcast and my episodes. I'm on one episode 115, so nowhere near 
uh, as far as you guys are, <laughs> man, you guys are up there. Um, but yeah, you can find my episodes there. You can also uh, find me on Facebook. So facebook.com slash passion, the number four of the paranormal. I'm there. Uh, you can find links to my show there and also links to the book uh, or just type in my name on Amazon or Google me. And, yeah, you'll awesome. Find it. Hey, thanks so much uh, for joining us, Curry. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back, guys. It's always good to, to be on with you. Oh, man. We talked for a long-ass time. Um, <laughs> and we not... still didn't get to all the controversial things like the abortion bills and stuff. Yeah, we'll probably get to those throughout the month here. Um, there's, there's a lot, though. There's a lot. Well, and, okay. We have legislative session for six weeks out of the year. We passed 561 bills, I think. That's absurd. That is a lot of legislation. Like, this was a massive legislative session. Now, I saw a tweet by one of the senators or something that was like, this is like one of the most productive sessions we've had. Yeah, it's it's been a really... And part of that is when you have a giant budget surplus, you can do a lot of things, including... And still give a, a ton of money back to the people. Uh, and so that was what they did. Um, so anyway, the... the um, the spiritual as fuck uh, card. What I don't, what are these called? Affirmations, maybe? Something. I don't know. The, the top of the boxes. No, no, no. On your thing. By the board. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, there's wood everywhere here. I'm not so. saying wood. I'm saying board. It's yeah. just inspirational cards. Yeah, it's just inspirational cards, I guess. It says, 99 inspirational cards for people who fucking need some inspiration. So, okay. Uh, this one says to mani- manifest the fuck out of your dreams. There we go. The most vulnerable thing to admit to is not your deepest wound. It's what you really, truly want. We're talking your biggest, crazy assest dreams and desires. Be vulnerable, at least with yourself. Write that shit down, make a to-do list, and maybe even tell someone. Make it happen. You can do this. All I know is that if you vote for Pedro... All of your wildest dreams will come true. <laughs> Vote for Pedro. I <laughs> uh, hope you like the show today. Um, please share the episode. Um, we've got a, uh, a whole bunch of cool stuff coming up this month for everyone. Uh, but yeah, please share the episode. That's what helps us more than anything. You can go check out all the pictures from the Capitol on our blog, thenewutah.com. We or- posted some on the socials, but. The blog got it's, all of them. There's there's so tons. Cool. There's tons. So um, there's a bunch that she sent us, and then some that that Jeremy and I took. And she being Alexi, Alexi Alexis, Alexis. Yeah, I carried around a recorder the whole time and didn't didn't use it. So I dropped the batteries awesome. out of the bag. Well, that's not your fault. The you bag had a hole <laughs> in it. Yeah, you found a new hole in the bag. Um, there's a hole in the bag. You can also find us on social media at TNU Podcast. Um, it is worth mentioning. Uh, Folk Hogan uh, does our intro and outro music. This is a busy time of the year. I don't know why they always want these guys to play at St. Patrick's Day shows. Yeah, I wonder why. They're fantastic. They're a folk band. They're a folk I rock know, band. I but they're it not, sounds a lot like... They're not like, like an Irish punk band. They're a no, folk rock but band. It, it, it gets you in the mood. They're like Mumford & Sons if Mumford & Sons was good. Yep. I'm just kidding. Mumford and Sons is, you know, clearly much more popular, but Folk Hogan's fantastic. Where else are you going to get all the various different instruments that you get with Folk Hogan? And they've got a full lineup every couple of weeks. We announce it, but go to any of our previous weeks, or just look uh, them up. Folk Hogan. Yeah. They, Folk they're Hogan. playing pretty much every weekend 
I know that they're listed through the end of April. When it gets closer to the end of April, yeah. we'll give Pi- it the- Piper Down will be the big one around St. Patty's Day. Like these next couple of weeks are really busy for them. They usually have like two or even three shows a weekend uh, during this time of year. So uh, go support them. They're fantastic. Also, there's a group coming that Jack found. And I, it's called Metalachi, and it is <laughs> it is death metal songs and metal songs played by a mariachi band. They are so good; <laughs> it is unbelievable. Like that, it's I fantastic. actually love a mariachi they're, band. They're all these covers of great songs in a mariachi style, like Sandman. It's, it's, like that. Oh yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, I think it's called Metalachi, is what what they're called. It's the, it's fantastic. Look them up on like Spotify or whatever. They're great. Um, and with that, we're gonna end the show for the week. Um, enjoy your week, folks. Mm-hmm.